And now presenting the Date Night Drive-In. Welcome, friends, to the Date Night Drive-In. Tonight, uh, we have Casablanca screening. That's fun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, for episode so, two. I am thrilled. I only said pull up a chair, but with a drive-in theme, it would be... Pull up your car? Pull up pull up your, your sick 1950s like hood-down convertible. Or other form of more environmentally friendly mode of transport. We accept buses here yeah. and trains at the day they drive in. I d- I d- yeah. The drive-in I, of the mind. You wouldn't want to be behind a bus in a drive-in, though, would you? No. Maybe if you parked a bus horizontally. Uh-huh. And then everyone could sit on one side. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, you could do that. You could. We're getting off track. We are getting <laughs> off track. So this is our second episode. Second now. episode. So last time we had Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> which we both had some thoughts on. Someone nuanced than others. When Guess I, which one of us has two film degrees, by the way. When I've mentioned that we have A, started talking about films for a podcast, and B, the first one we did... Is Avengers Infinity War to some of our closer friends, their reactions go, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. It's an interesting start, but you can blame Anne because that is the one that she picks out of the um, the basket of magic. Indeed. Well, so. you know, your first one's going in the bin anyway, so. And my first pick in the meantime was Casablanca. Again, proof that you have excellent taste. I, I know, right? <laughs> um, so Casablanca, I'm just going to sort of run through some of the background to it and then we'll talk a bit more about our mm. experience and knowledge of the film at this absolutely. point absolutely oh, i've got a good feeling so going casablanca is number 49 on the imdb top 100 um, that kind of it surprises me that it's not higher i haven't seen it i i watched i've only seen casablanca once and i watched it on the first year of my first film course yeah so that was when we were sort of watching a lot of old films and oh. i had this beautiful understanding or, or sort of realisation where I thought a lot of the older films in the canon were not good films, they were just old, because that's, I feel, personally the case with a lot of things in the English literature canon, which is my other um, university oh. discipline. Yeah. And stuff like Citizen Kane, Casablanca, North by Northwest, I kind of watched them and I was like, oh, these are brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. One of the reasons why I love film is because it's such a new baby medium for expressing art and people can do all these incredible creative things with it and you really really sort of do see that as 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 western centric as it is and you know mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to see some different ones when we cover um you know some non-western movies that are which, in this list which are on the list not as many as you might like perhaps but there are a few yeah a few non-western films um but what i'm trying to express is that you know i not only do i really enjoy the film but it comes from this time in my life when I first watched it when I was f- falling in love with old Hollywood mm-hmm. um, which is really special to me so it, so, it warms my heart um, just just to ADHD wrangle you mm-hmm. back to some form of structure how do you feel about its position on the list do you think number 49 surprises you is it about what you'd expect because to me it's it seems almost kind of low because people talk about Casablanca as one of the greatest movies ever and particularly the sort of thing that an organisation like IMDb, maybe would have expected them to have it, perhaps even in the yeah. top ten, let alone I mean, 50, to basically. be honest, again, the last time I watched it was 2016, so five yeah. years ago. Six years ago, uh, at this point. Like five and a half. Five and a half. Uh, so, from my memory, the film itself is 
beautifully moving, incredibly written, really good at making you feel an experience. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing in my mind particularly technically interesting okay. about the movie. So I would say for my midway point, if we're looking at the 100 greatest movies of all time ever, I'd expect the bottom 50 to have some kind of emotional impact and drive, and then I'd expect the top 50 to have that beautiful creativity, mm. but also bring something technically interesting to the table, because there sure. are so many films that... Do both. Yeah, do both. Film. It, there are so many elements that go into making a good movie, and if we just focus on sort of story, acting, emotion... You're missing out on lighting, sound design, costumes, all of these things. Editing, which are so important. Stunt doubles, you know, yeah. fight choreographs. Yeah, oh, fair enough. So to talk a bit more then about um, some of the background of this film, it um, released in 1942, obviously slap bang in the middle of World War II. Yeah. Um, obviously it's an American film, so it's sort of towards the start at least of the US um, involvement in in World War II. Mm. Um, and... One of the interesting trivia things I found out about this movie, which is kind of yikes, is that its release was accelerated so that it came out before the invasion of North Africa. As the film itself takes place in North Africa, they thought it would get public interest. Yeah. I thought that was a bit a bit yikes. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. But... Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the, the things about that sort of era in Hollywood is especially there were so many politically driven stories mm -hmm. whatever direction they're in i think one of my favorite movies ever the great dictator i think is on this list it is yeah um and again it's a similar thing where like the great dictator is a great anti-nazi propaganda movie but it also buys into sort of you know you there are people who will be suffering and in pain because of yeah. the war and that'll encourage them to go and see this movie um, I think it's yikes. I think the thing about Casablanca is it's a very yikes movie. Mm -hmm. um, but that adds to the emotion that okay. surrounds it. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so this film was directed by Michael Curtiz, who's... It's definitely his most famous film. I was looking through his filmography on IMDb as I was doing my inverted commas research. Um, he's directed 180 movies. That's a lot of movies. Yeah, that's the 1940s. That's, that's, that's like the 1940s Hollywood, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is really the one that stands out the most. Um, and Casablanca wasn't viewed really as a film that was going to break the mould of, mm. um, of you know, these 1940s films where you got hundreds a year. H however, it did. So it, its budget was about $1 million at the time and it returned five times that in the box office, which obviously... If, Huge success. Sorry, I'm like nodding very vehemently, which is not good for an audio medium. No. Um, it of course won three Oscars, which were Outstanding Motion Picture, Best Screenplay and Best Director. None of the actors won. None of the actors that won. That is were, interesting. They were not, there were multiple nominees for Do you know who the they lost out to? Yeah, so Charles Coburn for The More The Merrier and... Um, James Cagney for Yankee Doodle Dandy, respectively. Horrible. So hardly, <laughs> you know, definitely not the stature that we now hold Casablanca in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Which is kind of interesting. So it, was, it won three Oscars and was nominated for five more. It's now considered to be one of the greatest films ever. Of course, everyone knows that. Um, 
preserved, and it's preserved by the Nat National Film Registry as culturally important. Hell yeah. Joined, of course, very recently by Shrek in the same category. Again, absolutely agree. I think Shrek 100% deserves that accolade. Shrek is on this list. Which is uh, ridiculous. You were about to swear there, weren't you? I was. Okay. Um, of course, Casablanca is very firmly in the cultural canon. A lot of people reference it, including me, without having ever seen the film. So there's lots of really quotable lines, such as, play it again, Sam, or here's looking at you, kid, which yeah. are used multiple times, parodied a load of stuff like South Park, for example, or all sorts of other sort of sitcoms. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, sure. Um, yeah, I was about to say something mean about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend then, but we'll continue. Um, so it's clearly very culturally significant. Um, I've never seen it, so I'm interested to see how it stands. I am but we'll so get on to jealous that. of you. We'll get on to that in just a second. Uh, I've just got two other fun facts, which are that the scenes involving um, Nazi soldiers mm -hmm. were filmed with German Jews. That's so, sick. That's with, so cool. Which which is which is very cool, uh, especially because it took place during the war. So a load of them were like German Jewish refugees um, who were used during the filming. That's awesome. Which is cool. And the last fact is that because of security concerns during the war, it was illegal to film at night. So the scenes that are meant to take place at night really? are artificially darkened, filmed during the day, and they use things, they use cardboard to cover up the sun and things like that. To... It's so interesting to me that they would, I guess it's a space, a, a space issue. Space issue. Is that they would film them, they wouldn't film them on a soundstage. Yeah. If they were night scenes, they would film them outside. That's really interesting. Yeah, I guess it's space issue because I have seen that they've got big sets in this yeah, film. Like, bigger than you could do in a, in a soundstage. Um, I'm now just going to talk over the rough plot for people such as myself who haven't seen it. So, um, Humphrey Bogart, who's the star, Sorry, is a I titan just, of Hollywood, right? I just, yeah, I just did like, you, you could say, I just put my hand over my heart and did a swooned. little swoon face. And swoon. So I he plays um, probably the closest thing to a protagonist, right? Mm, yeah. You could debate probably whether he is a protagonist based on what I've seen when I've been doing my research. <laughs> so he plays Rick Blaine, who's an American expatriate. Which, such a cool name. Rick Blaine. Su superhero name. I know. Oh, superhero. Well, it's an action hero name, yeah. right? Um, who's living in Vichy, uh, Morocco in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Vichy means? No. So Vichy um, was... After the German invasion of France, uh -huh. some areas of France were ruled as Vichy France, which was technically autonomous, but it was they worked very closely in collaboration with the Germans. Okay. So, so they sort of kept their yeah. autonomy, but for the exchange of working closely with the Germans. Yeah. So that's that. Um, yeah, so he's living in, in Casablanca, uh, the city, as well as the name of the movie. Mm. Um, and effectively, he's faced with a dilemma where he has to choose between his love for a woman called... Um, is it Ilsa? Yeah. Elsa Lund, who's played by Ingrid Bergman. Ugh. And did another swoon. Um, so he has to choose between his love for this woman or between helping her and her husband, who's a Czech resistance sort of leader. Yeah. Um, escape from from Casablanca it's and uh, great. continue it's the fight so against good. the Germans. So so he has this um, sort of dilemma between his his your sense of responsibility and duty and his love for yeah uh, for. It, Ilsa. Ilsa. Ilsa, there you are. So, the next question that we ask is, have either of us seen it? I haven't. Um, I have. Has, but once 
Yes, so it like I said, it was this period of where I was sort of falling in love with the golden age of Hollywood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Shout out to It Happened One Night, best movie of all time. We're talking about Casablanca. <laughs> um, but, so, I, I just haven't gone back and rewatched it because it's this sort of, like, glittering, perfect jewel that I don't, I don't really want to touch. Mm-hmm. But you've got to. Yeah, I know. You have to now. Well, I've developed a lot more, I think, as a... I don't know, film academic, a crit- my critical thinking skills. I don't want to sound spectator. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound you yeah. know up myself, but bit late, <laughs> bit late for that. Thanks, um, but I think I've really developed in that aspect. So mm-hmm. you know, the last time I watched this movie, I was eighteen years old. Now I'm twenty three. So Oof. age, right? <laughs> um, I, in the meantime, have never seen it. I know it's a classic film, and it's just never really one that I've got around to watching quite hard to get a hold of which is maybe why i haven't watched it um yet and i'm i am looking forward to finding out about and expanding my knowledge really i don't have much knowledge at all really of of the golden age of hollywood i haven't watched many of these classic films from you know 30s 40s 50s honestly one of the reasons why i'm really excited to to do this with you yeah um because i know a lot of your experience sort of from that film period is mainly focused on british films rather than sure. american films I, I love the um the ealing comedies for example but yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know much of the golden age of hollywood so i'm looking forward to discovering that is is there anything that you're particularly going to be looking for on a rewatch um i anything you're going to be keeping an eye out or anything where you're looking to challenge your your recollections or your takes from a from a previous viewing. I mean, you know, given what I said about having gone through more like academically, I think I'll definitely be more technically minded in terms mm-hmm. of production. So, for example, when I you know watched it when I was eighteen, the thing that interested me about films was story focused. So I was sort of interested in the characters, the script, the acting choices, the plot. Here I'm going to be. Like a right nerd looking at the costumes, the lighting, the sets. Well, my one of the things I'm looking for is similar. I've tried my best not to spoil myself on the ins and outs of the plot. So, no, I'm looking forward to it. I've tried to keep myself relatively spoiler-free, although one thing which has been kind of a constant, I suppose, in, in my research for putting together some background on it has been people mention the soundtrack a lot and the film's mm, theme uh. as kind of a pervasive element so that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's integrated because I love sort of soundtracks and musical motifs in in film. It's just it's it's it has its problems, but for certainly, and um, but it, to me, it's just like this. I I find golden age Hollywood movies so comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's you know it's it's emotional. It's it's romantic in the capital R genre sense. Yeah. My. Uh, in my teacher who I watched it with, um, you know, shout out to uh, Professor Ben, <laughs> uh, is that he his speciality was noir. And, you know, there's a lot of genre-based debate around it, but for most intents and purposes, it is a noir film. Yeah. Um, because even though it sort of doesn't fit that detective stereotype, you have a morally grey antagonist. Um, you have themes of morality, you have a femme fatale... Um, so I, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's, it holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah. Well, hopefully it maintains that on a, on a second watch. <laughs> hopefully so. And the last question I'm going to ask as we pass the concession stand on our way to take our, our seats on the back of our mm. car in the driving theatre of the mind 
So what snacks are we going to have? Butter kiss, salted popcorn. Yes, we will take sponsorships if you're interested. Uh, other brands are available. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be having some coffee and oat milk. Because uh, yeah. I'm tired. I'm doing the best to stay awake of the duration of this film. Um, would you like to tell the, the, the listeners at home about your loaded popcorn? Something that, uh, I, that I disagree with fundamentally as a concept. It's my very special recipe. If you... Um, it's my very special recipe. It's salted popcorn with mozzarella, cheese, crushed up Doritos and sriracha. We talked about it last episode. Oh, did we? Yeah, you just haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> That's true, I haven't. <laughs> now he's being mean. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to be having some popcorn. The classic movie theatre snack, really, so isn't it? So good. And um, yeah, let's let's take our seats. The credits are about to roll. <laughs> Wait, that's that's at the end. The opening titles are about to roll. I miss opening titles. I wish we still had them. Uh, me too, honestly. So um, we're going to head off and watch Casablanca, and we'll see you in what for us will be a matter of hours. For you, merely a matter of seconds. <laughs> okay. We'll workshop We'll that. workshop it. Come up with something maybe a bit cleaner. Um, what did you think of your first time watching Casablanca? I really enjoyed it. Yay. It, it, it kind of ties up, I think, with what you were saying, where it's a very enjoyable film. I can see why it's considered a classic, but there isn't that next level up of, yeah. um, you, you know, of, like, incredible quality, where I'm like, wow, this film totally blows me away with how it's made. Like Dev Patel and the Green Knight. The, sure. The best movie ever. Not the best. <laughs> it's on the list in my heart. I know. Um, so I took notes this time. You did. We're still trying to find our format. Um, so I am curious to see your reaction to them. I've got to find them on my notes list because I take notes all the time. Uh, where? Did I accidentally delete it? I hope you didn't. Ah, got it. Okay, so something that I really enjoyed about this is it starts with opening credits, which I wish movies did, because I think they're so nice. One of my favourite Christmas movies, Happiest Season, does this, and they go for the old style, like, you know, beautiful art in the background to give you a sense of the mood, and the first note I took is there's not a lot of people who worked no. on this movie. No, um, but by that you mean the crew, right, yes. rather than the cast. So everyone who's credited at the start... It's a really small team, um, just because obviously you had... Oh, not obviously, that sounds patronising. For people who don't know, in the golden age of Hollywood, generally everyone was contracted to a single studio, Mm -hmm. rather than people working for a bunch of different studios or with a bunch of different production teams. You would just kind of have one in-house department that sort of handled everything. Yeah. Which isn't the case at the moment, but that's why you would have smaller teams. Also, the industry just wasn't as large as it is now. Yeah, and um, technologies was much more simple as well. Yeah, and it's 42, so that means a lot of the um, men, especially, who would have been in production are in Europe. Oh, in the war. Yeah, are in the war when this is being made. Um, And because of that, I mean, not because of that, the original film industry, you may be interested to know, was a very female-dominated industry. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't this huge loss in creativity and, for lack of a better word, manpower. When the war started. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? 
Um, so I do think it's really interesting that this movie starts with an homage to the plight of the re- plight of refugees. Yeah. Uh, considering that, in and you may have better historical knowledge of this than sure. I do, but in America, um, prior to America's involvement in the war, a large portion of Jewish immigrants were turned around upon reaching, yeah. reaching the Statue of Liberty. I mean, I mean, one, one of the reasons why it may be the case is that the director himself was a, was a Hungarian mm. immigrant, so that, that may be one of the reasons why yeah. he opened it with this sort of it's, homage. It seems a real focus of the movie. I found a really interesting article um, about this that I'll put in the comments because I can't read it right I can't remember the title of it right now, but it referred to um, the... Casablanca as a anti-fascist movie that somehow um, leans into both racism and sexism, mm-hmm. which I find interesting because I think the takeaway from we both had after the movie, the first thing we said was, wow, I wish this had been about Sam and Elsa because they're far more interesting yeah. characters. Or, or even just more about Sam, yeah. to be honest. Um, if you think about Sam's story in the movie, going from working you know, in a piano bar and Paris during the start of the war, during the original Blitzkrieg, all the way then to to play, you know, playing his piano at Rick's in um, Rick's salon in yeah, which presumably he left Paris to get away from the Nazis, right? Because yeah, of the the white supremacy. Yes, um, and uh, he seems content and settled in uh, Vichy. Vichy, Vichy? Yeah. Uh, I don't know the proper term, in Casablanca. So it's yeah. interesting that he's seemingly, not a change of heart, but is seemingly sat- implicitly satisfied with where he is. Um, because obviously he's a tool of the writers, he's not a person. Yeah. And I just wish they put more thought into his character, because he sounds like an interesting guy. Yeah, um, I, I, wish, I wish that was the case as well. Um, speaking of the portrayal of race in this movie, the sort of... Moroccan, North African um, setting and, and leaning into stereotypes was really gross. Just get that one right off the bat. Yeah, uh, we noticed there were a few actors who were wearing effectively blackface or, you know, racial altering kind of makeup who were, who were clearly white actors kind of yeah. blacking up, once for a better word. So. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was really interesting because I couldn't, I couldn't find any comments about that. So I'll do a bit more research on that. I don't know if that was just the way it was shot with the lighting or if that was actually a white actor. But that's not great. Um, so I think, you know, going into this movie as we go into it, I'd say the majority of movies uh-huh. on this list just sort of a, oh, that gives me the inks <laughs> checklist. Yeah, um, there are a few bits and pieces like that. And um, with the portrayal of sexuality as mm. well um, yeah i felt that louis who is the uh french uh i was about to say sheriff head of police mm-hmm. in casablanca is um i read him as very queer coded as a character despite them writing him you know having sex with an underage girl to secure her effectively raping and assaulting her to secure yeah. her visa um which is i guess a really weird choice that the actors took but i think after our discussion of race and sexuality it's a really good time for me to bring up our good friend who we will see time and time again the hayes code the no, hayes... i don't actually know anything about this i'm trying to talk about it well. <laughs> yeah. so the hayes code um came about in the 1930s it was essentially a mutual agreement between a lot of studios about the correct quote-unquote correct morals to show in films so things such as 
miss, I don't know how to pronounce this, miscegenation, miscegenation, um, which is a relationship between two people of different races, mm-hmm. was banned. Um, portrayal of homosexuality was banned. On-screen, on-screen sex banned. If you were quote-unquote seen as evil, you had to be punished. And if you were quote-unquote good, you had to be rewarded by the moral standards of the day. Otherwise, essentially, you'd get blacklisted from the Hollywood. Yeah. So whilst I don't think that excuses any of the choices, I think they're all still gross and, you know, you could have done better in that scenario. I do think that it needs to be considered within the context of people making, you know, career-ending decisions. Right. Um, so I just think that's something that when we, that sort of fell out of fashion in the mid-60s, so any movies we kind of do between the 30s and the 60s, Hayes Code, good friend, keep in mind, restricting art. Yeah. (laughs) As per... Um, but now we've sort of dealt with the politics of the movie, we can observe sort of further politics and, you know, it's an anti-fascist movie, right? Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you have any... Oh, sorry, sorry, I thought you thought you were going to keep talking. <laughs> no. You said, it's an anti-fascist movie, right? And I was like, yes. Yeah. And then you were like... Yeah. What do you think about that? I'm aware I've just talked for like I know. five minutes. I know. It's probably going to be the case a lot. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> No, I th- I, th- I think it's interesting how um, how like the Nazis are portrayed in this movie because it's not there is basically zero actual action in this movie. There are two or three scenes I can think of where a gun is fired, but it's not like other you know movies of the time where there's these big gunfights and they're sort of running through like a Moroccan market or something, which is semi what I had expected really going into this movie not not quite Indiana Jones level yeah but more pulpy but yeah I was expecting there to be sort of some some sort of pulpy action and mm. that wasn't the case at all so they really focused on the Nazis as um, one of your favourite phrases which is the banality of evil yes where the, the Nazis aren't pantomime villains they're not moustache twirling or anything they are very recognisably people which is an interesting decision to take considering this is set in the Second World War, by a produced, you know, in a country and a language whose people were fighting the Nazis at the time, to you know the, the Nazi officers being kind of presented as as very ordinary people with ordinary wants and desires, yeah, who just happen to be evil is really interesting. And I think it's done in a really good way, much Definitely. like one of another one of my favorite movies about the banality of evil, Fargo, um, in that. The way they're portrayed doesn't, even though they're humanised, they're not humanised in a way that makes them sympathetic. They're humanised in a way where you recognise how easy it is for that evil to sort of permeate society and your lives around you. Um, I'm going to bleep myself out for the last one of the sentence. Just curious if you could guess accurately how many times I wrote the note Nazis can get f***. Yep. So how many times do you think I wrote it down? Oh, five. Actually, yeah, exactly yeah, fine. Exactly Good fine. job. Yeah. Um, sorry, my notes are very conversational, which I should not really do in the future. I said, would be a shame if you for, gave... For this, for this conversation we're yeah. having, your conversational <laughs> notes are not appropriate for our <laughs> conversational podcast. Um, I thought the most moving scene for me was when the Nazis were singing presumably the Third Reich's anthem? I, I don't I, know if it was I don't, I don't recall exactly what it was, but yeah, they, they they, was... They're singing an anthem or mm. some sort of like yeah. ballad, yeah. And then they start playing uh, 
La Marseille is how yeah. you pronounce it. My French is really terrible. Um, so I actually looked up the translation of the lyrics. Oh, yeah. And I thought it'd be interesting to share the chorus, um, which is, Grab your weapons, citizens. Form your battalions. Let us march. Let us march. May impure blood water our fields. Yes. Powerful stuff. Yeah, um, which, I mean, we can talk about the French Republic if you want. (laughs) That's not really relevant here. No, I don't think so. Um, I just thought it was very interesting that, for me, and I don't know if this is the case for everyone who watched the movie, or even for you, Mm -hmm. the quote-unquote moral of this movie, because of our good old friend the Hays Code, pretty much every movie you can expect to have an intended moral, um, is that Rick needs to learn to care more. Yeah. He provides a haven for all of the people in Casablanca, in his uh, in his club. He tries to exclude the Nazis, but because he's passive, he's not taking action against fascism, and because of that, he is a bad guy who yeah. the story punishes. Who the story punishes, absolutely, because from the very... I mean, spoilers for a 75-year-old movie. Um, actually, more than that. It's what... Uh, yeah, nearly 80-year-old movie Ish. now. 80 this year. Ish. Um, you know, right at the start when the when the person who's got the um, the transport papers uh, is being sort of accosted by the Nazis and Rick just sort of does nothing to protect him at all and he ends up being killed. Yeah. And and the Nazis frame him as uh, having committed suicide. Yeah. You know, um, and Rick does nothing and allows people to die, you know, for no reason. So by taking a... Uh, and it's not until the end of the movie where he takes a stand and actually... Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, another one of those moments for me was when Louis, the, the police captain, was talking about how that uh, character was, you know, murdered by effectively execution and police brutality. Yeah. And um, he's this very charming, friendly, easygoing guy. Reminds me a lot of Uncle Max in um, Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Yeah. Um, and he says, oh, just like smiling very wittily, oh, you know, we haven't decided if he's committed suicide or was killed resisting arrest yet. Yeah. And it's just bone chilling that he could be so calm and chill Absolutely. and charming and about it. you said, um, I believe at the time, there was actually backlash around how charming they yeah. made Captain Lewis. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I, I wouldn't say not contemporary backlash but rather that's one of the criticisms right. the movie faced it's a difficult thing i think when you make something with care and nuance again because of the Hays code a lot of movies had to be to have any sense of identity beyond a sort of morality play um and so you know there is criticism that the nazis aren't punished enough aren't evil enough i think because of the time it was written the people who will go to see this movie would have had their sons and fathers and brothers killed um, in battle, maybe relatives in Europe who were killed in concentration camps, Yeah. that I don't feel like at the time the filmmakers would have to emphasise how evil the Nazis were, because it Absolutely, was pretty yeah. much built into the patriotism of the country. Um, but yeah, I think the, the one of the sort of significant comment I had about the movie which I say significant, doesn't have a lot of substance. It's just for fans of Flyer, Firefly. Rick, Rick, Mal, Firefly. Yeah. Rick, Rick, Mal, Firefly. 
That was my first try, thought. Try, try phrasing that again for people <laughs> that don't know the, the strange way in which you talk. Uh, <laughs> the television show Firefly has a uh, protagonist called Malcolm Reynolds. His whole character arc is also about learning to take action against fascism. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's a larger... I suppose it's, it's almost a microcosm, a metaphor for the US's role on the global stage mm, as well. Absolutely. Where the US didn't directly get themselves involved in the war until they were attacked and actually continued trading with the Germans past the start of World War II. Um, and it was only when they realised the actual danger posed to themselves yeah. that, much like Rick, they actually became involved in fighting off fascism. I, I doubt this is intentional, but it feels like a... I want to believe. But <laughs> it, it feels like a perfect mirroring where Rick is living in a world of isolationist politics where he's trying to play both sides and he's not taking a stand and good people are being hurt because of it. Yeah. And it's only when he sees the threat to himself that he um, that he actually steps in and tries to make a difference. Yeah. As much as I think the a lot of the women per se- besides perhaps Ilsa in this movie, um, can fall into the sexy lamp stereotype, which is you could just replace them with a sexy lamp and they'd serve the same plot function. Um, I do think that Ilsa's character is very compelling. I wish she had a bit more oomph to her, Mm -hmm. Uh, but she was really well written. I think that's why um, I tend to adore noir so much, and this is, you know, noir because of... I don't know, it's just a hard genre to divine, define, I just feel it in my gut. Um, but you get a lot of complex women, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and she, she's an interesting character where she isn't just, you know, a love interest. She's not just, like you said, a MacGuffin for the hero. She yeah. feels like a real person who's sort of got real desires. Yeah. Um, and something more more widely, which I thought was really interesting, was that I did genuinely didn't know what decision because I don't know the end of this movie. Yeah. Or I didn't until I watched <laughs> it. Um, I genuinely didn't know what decision Rick was going to make at the end. Whether he was going to go on the plane, whether he was going to keep, um, yeah. I don't know, with Elsa. him, Ilsa, Ilsa, um, with him, or whether you know, or what he was going to do with uh, Laszlo. Mm. So it's a really interesting. Um, the way that they, they sort of strung it along and kept the tension very high. Absolutely. I think it, it definitely has that... It's, a, it's just a very compelling movie because the morals and the right choices are so clear. There's yeah. very obviously a right choice. It's just a very difficult one to make. And that sort of inner conflict... Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's a little lost in modern cinema. I'm going to be a grouchy old cinephile and say it. I think, you know, these old films, they just have this quality to them, which mm. we don't really have anymore. I, I can't name it exactly, but... Can you, can you explain that a bit more? And I, I will try to debunk <laughs> you with facts and logic. <laughs> um, I think it's the... I think because these studios were so small... Mm-hmm. You get a story that's not confused about what it wants. Yeah. And I feel that's very much the case with a lot of larger studios, a lot of writers, too many cooks spoiling the broth. Oh, yeah, that's the et same. Etc. Um, Is that a fair comment? Yeah, um, and I think there's all there's even an aspect of you know a lot of films nowadays, particularly if, if there was a film made that had a star nowadays on the level of Humphrey Bogart Ugh. back then. You know, yeah. stop swooning. <laughs> um, 
that it would be subject to so much studio interference. Mm. It would be an event film because, um, so this is being filmed very shortly, uh, sorry, this um, is being recorded very shortly after the release of um, Spider-Man No Way Home. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is a huge piece of event cinema, right? If you think about the build-up, all the, the breadcrumbing of yeah. um, the clues as to who's going to be in the movie, the different teaser trailers, yeah. um, you know, slowly releasing more and more information about it until it comes out in this huge sort of cacophony. Whereas Casablanca was filmed at a time where hundreds of films were coming out a year from Hollywood and it's, there's not as much um, fanfare around it, it's not as meticulously planned out. It's it's a film that feels very organic and much more real because it hasn't got this interference, it's not being presented as a big bit of event cinema. It's just Absolutely. a movie someone has made and that makes it feel um, much more genuine. I think much like Rick's life in the beautiful city of Casablanca, the studio system was not the ideal way for making art, but we can recognise that in some places it felt safe and comfortable yeah. and had its enjoyable moments. I'm not sad it's gone, but you know, I think we can look back fondly and with a, a critical and judgmental eye on the things that were made during that period. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's always important to recognise um, the progress that we've made in terms of our, our social views, <laughs> uh, let's say, in comparison to these old films. But that doesn't mean there's nothing to be gained from them, because there's certainly some wonderful sort of relics out there. You yeah, know? I totally agree. I think... Um, you know, any film which makes a nuanced political statement in the time of the Hays Code should be um, recognised for, I don't know, the artistic gymnastics that had to be done for that to be achieved. Absolutely. Uh, and please, uh, whenever we get around to for bingo, make and mentions the Hays Code. <laughs> like the middle square, like the free square. It's so important to the production of American film. I can't stress. It's really annoying. I don't like it, but it, it's really important and influential. Well, luckily, not all of our films on the list are American. Woo! There are some that are British. There are some which are Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There's some from some other nations, which I won't spoil now. I'm really keen to see Grave of the Fireflies because I've been meaning to see it Unfortunately, <laughs> our next film is American. and picked this one out of the box um, last night. and Ooh. Before we get that, should we say what film we would put in the place? Oh yeah, absolutely. Sorry, sorry. I'm being, I'm being corrected as per usual. Well, my lovely girlfriend. Um, so what film would you choose to put in place of Casablanca? Do you feel like it deserves its spot at number 49 on the country greatest films of all time? Yeah. I'm happy with it number 49. I, I wouldn't I, change it. I totally agree. Um, whereas we had Infinity War previously, we're like, absolutely not. We're really yo-yoing. We're really yo-yoing. But I feel like Casablanca deserves its recognition. It's a it's a classic piece of cinema, which I'd recommend anyone to watch if they haven't. However, I'm not going to sort of sit here and go, oh, this should be a top 10 film. I think top 50 is totally fine. I 100% agree. Number 49. So, uh, as I was saying... Um, and picked out of the box and <laughs> immediately went, wow, I only pick film boy films. <laughs> so would you like to tell everyone listening what our next film is going to be? Well, you can all say hello to my little friend because we are doing Scarface. We are. Next you're, you're my little friend. <laughs> I am. I'm your little friend. Yeah. Okay. So next time, catch us for the classic Al Pacino.
Scarface. Scarface. I um, I've never seen the Scarface movie. <laughs> the Scarface movie. <laughs> There's more than one, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's just the way you said it. Was, so you're like the Scarface movie. Okay. Um, well, we'll join you for that same time next month. Same time next month. Until see you in then, March. The cinema closes. There will be no more screenings. But we'll see you later in March for Scarface. At, At the, the date, date night, night drive-in. Drive in. <laughs> 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 did that in tandem. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Okay. Okay. Drive-In is a Mount Pleasant production with Am Chisholm and Will Byford. Our opening credits were voiced by Nathan Jones, and our art was designed by Ariel Evans. You can find us on Twitter at at D8 Night Drive-In.